Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. In this episode, I'm joined by Kavita Gunnison, the founder of OpenOSIS Analytics and an AI strategist, educator, and consultant. She's also the author of the book, The Business Case for AI, which helps business leaders understand artificial intelligence and how they can use it in their business, sort of demystifies artificial intelligence for business owners. With over 15 years of experience in the field, Kavita educates and advises Fortune 500 companies as well as mid-sized to smaller organizations. She's helped deliver numerous successful AI initiatives through these collaborations. And what we talk about in this conversation is one, you know, kind of what AI is, where we are in the life cycle of AI today. We do talk a little bit about where we're going and what some of the technologies of the future might be. But as she points out at the end, these technologies are so underutilized now that there's really an opportunity to utilize today's technology. So anyone who's waiting for where we might go with AI should be paying attention to the technologies that are around today and how they can be having a meaningful impact on the business. It was really interesting conversation, learned a lot for me, not a topic that I talk about very often, but one that is super fascinating and, and very relevant. Without further ado, here is Kavita Gunnison. Kavita, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you on and uh, talk about something that we haven't talked about on the show yet, which is artificial intelligence. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be talking to you today. Well, I'm just going to start with a dumb question because I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of dumb questions today. I might as well just get it over with. How do you define AI? That term, like artificial intelligence, AI gets thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? What are we really talking about? So AI is just software automation, but it's a special type of software automation that tries to mimic human human-like thinking and decision-making within a computer program. And AI is not one thing. It's a coming together of different sub-areas of studies. So for example, you may have heard of uh, natural language processing. So that is trying to understand human language and correspond with humans the way humans would correspond with each other. So that's NLP. Like a chatbot? Like a chatbot, yeah, exactly. So if you have this automated chatbots, those are basically driven by NLP technologies. Then you have something called computer vision. So computer vision is all about understanding images and videos. So that's how self-driving cars can drive themselves because they're able to see through this computer vision technology. Then you have machine learning. So you may have heard a lot of that. So machine learning essentially taking lots and lots of data and trying to learn patterns from that data. And the next time it sees something similar, it makes a prediction using what it's learned previously. And NLP and computer vision use a lot of machine learning to achieve their tasks. Like the chatbot may have have used machine learning to learn how to correspond with humans. So you have a lot of these type of sub areas of study that come together to solve specific business problems. So that's really what AI is in a very small nutshell. It's software automation to mimic human-like thinking and decision-making. And what is the goal with AI? You know, is it to make humans irrelevant in the workforce or something different? 
So the initial goal was to make humans more efficient, more effective in their roles. So for example, if I'm a physician, I want an AI system to be able to assist me in different areas of my activities. But this has been taken out of context and portrayed as something that's going to take over the whole human race. But AI systems are not that smart. They don't have real common sense reasoning like humans have. I mean, they're working towards it, but they're not that smart. They're very task-driven. They can accomplish specific tasks right now. And so where are we today as far as what AI technology can do and what it can't do? So what it it's really good at doing is accomplishing very specific tasks. So let's say you wanted to predict the risk of lung cancer. Then you train the system on data to learn what what are the factors that result in lung cancer. And it'll do that very well. But if you take the same system and try to make it predict the risk of breast cancer, it's not going to work anymore. So it's unlike a human where if they can predict a risk of a certain type of cancer, you can take that same knowledge and make other predictions. So it doesn't abstract out knowledge as well as we do. So it's task-oriented, very data-dependent right now. So you need lots and lots of data to train these models. But there is this whole research site that's studying how AI can become more, more like humans. But we are very far from that. It's, we have not even reached the stage of a two-year-old who can reason arbitrarily. Yeah. Yeah. I have a 14-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old as we are sitting here recording this. And I can tell you that, yeah, there's not a lot of reasoning that's going on with a two-year-old. <laughs> yes. An AI system sometimes will make really stupid mistakes that humans can just immediately say, hey, that's that's obvious to us. It's wrong. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, because it, it doesn't, the systems don't have the ability to catch their own errors. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. they don't have that common sense component in them. Yes, it's just yeah. purely task-driven. Task-driven, yeah. And if the algorithm is off or that makes a wrong as assumption, it's just going to be wrong. It's just going to be wrong. It's not, there isn't a second area of knowledge to say, hey, this doesn't make any sense. As we start talking about using this in the workforce, I, I think there is an interesting, there's a lot of interesting ways that we can go with the conversation. But like, let's just say... Most people out there are not super technology savvy. Like we know how to use our iPhones or whatever phone, you know, whatever smartphone we're using. We might know how to use the Sonos in our house or something like that, but we're not savvy at knowing how to use it, you know, put in place a chat bot or like implement a lot of this stuff. Where do you see businesses starting with AI and like, what's the, what's the roadmap look like for a company that's maybe not using any today to start getting comfortable and to build out AI functions within their business? So the starting point is always trying to understand what is AI. So you don't have to get to the technical level, like how to build AI systems, but you need to know what it is. Like, AI is not just one bot walking around and trying to solve tasks. It's made up of NLP, computer vision. So having that kind of understanding along with where it's currently being applied to what type of business problems and how it relates to your own business will help you get those initial ideas. 
So once you start having those ideas, then you can hire a technical expert or talk to a consultant and figure out, is this idea even doable? Is it relevant to our company? And there may be prepackaged solutions for those specific problems already available. So for example, in CRMs, there is a feature, a lead scoring feature to score potential sales leads. And these are usually machine learning driven. So you might already have that feature in your CRM, but maybe you're not using it. So, but by knowing that this feature even exists, that's when you're going to look for it and start trying to use it. So having those initial use cases and high level understanding will get you started, but you still need somebody to guide you along the way through implementation who understands whether you should buy this or whether you should build from scratch because the costs can look very different. Well, I guess that's a good point. So like we've had the conversation in our business over the years. So I do total rewards consulting. A big part of what we do is benefits healthcare brokerage. So we help companies put together the health plans that they offer their employees. And there's a lot of data that we get that we then simplify and turn back to our clients to kind of show them what's going on with their program. And the way historically that a lot of our older, more experienced consultants have learned is by getting in and putting those spreadsheets together by taking the reports, synthesizing them down. They understand what's going on. They understand where the, you know, where the dollars are coming from, that kind of a thing. Well, now there's software, AI software, where we can program it once and get those reports in and synthesize them in a meaningful way. And nobody has to touch it or maybe just give it a cursory view. And the, you know, the arguments, I don't know that they're still being made, but I remember, you know, several years ago saying, well, but that's how we learn the business. We need to make sure that our people are still learning the business. Like, how do you see companies evolving? And like, is that a reasonable fear or do you see companies like putting this in place and then being even more efficient? And is it, this is kind of a long-winded question here, but like, is it more efficient to do that? And then also, like, what about the cost? Is it is it cheaper to have computers doing those menial tasks? Or, you know, is it better to have junior people doing them? How, like, how do you think about that kind of a thing, That those trade-offs? I know that was very convoluted. Yeah, let's start with the first part. So I think right now, AI systems are best as human assistants. They're very good in helping us. Like, let's say I'm a recruiter and I have a job posting and I want to know who are, who are the relevant candidates. I want this AI system to be able to tell me who are the relevant candidates, maybe assign a score on how relevant they are, and maybe why they are relevant. But in the end, I want to be the decision maker to decide who of these candidates, which of these candidates I should be contacting. Because for some reason, I may not want to contact one candidate because they may be working for a competitor. So I want to be the final decision maker. But by recommending this pool of candidates, my life is a lot easier. And I can be contacting 100 candidates a week as opposed to just five if I'm doing the research myself. So this is where AI systems really shine, like really improving our productivity. But they can't really replace us because we have a lot more context, a lot more knowledge, a lot more, we know the business. We can't, they, they can't just replace us. 
And for this AI system to thrive, they need our input to, to even build it, to even be the quality assurance managers. So it has to be something you do it together rather than the AI system alone making its own decisions and, and operating in a vacuum. How do you see companies? So let's say, um, you know, my company, we decide to implement this to support our people. But that means that our people are then more free to do higher level, higher thinking, more critical thinking tasks. How do you see comp- the best companies out there doing this, upskilling their employees? Like, are they, is it just like, okay, great, now figure out something else to go do? Or how, like, how do you see them shifting their workforce away from those tasks, but still like allowing them to be sort of hyper productive in the things that they're good at? Yeah, so I think when large companies, when they try to build systems to improve productivity of employees, these employees are very much in the loop in building these models because these are the subject matter experts. You need their data to start with. You need them to say if the model is performing as well as it should. And you need them to provide assistance for areas where the AI cannot handle. So if they are involved from the start in the development of the AI system, they are more likely to be, what do you say, vested stakeholder in that initiative. And then they'll know how to change their jobs, their skills that they need to support these AI systems. And they'll know where they are now needed in the more high level tasks, in the harder customer service cases or something. So that's the best way to, I think, introduce AI to, is to involve people who are going to consume it as well as put the developers together. Well, and that makes sense. One of the, one of the themes that has come up here a lot over the last year is design thinking and human-centered design. And, I, and really, it starts with bringing the people in for that co-authorship. Like I think that's just a big tenet of design thinking, especially when you're designing an experience for a group of people or a system that a group of people are going to use. I think bringing them in in the beginning and then having that collaboration, being, you know, being open, being transparent, seeking their feedback. One, you set it up better. And then to your point too, you know, you can have those conversations then on, okay, so now what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to spend your time? What other skills do you need? You can give them coaching, like, which is better, like the more communication, the better. Yes. And they'll be more vested in the whole initiative, working and thriving. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see? So on the flip side, like where do you see companies getting into trouble when they try to go down the AI path? What what mistakes do you see companies making? So the first mistake that I see happen very commonly is they trust the AI algorithms like 100%. So you've seen in the case of Tesla, it has gone through multiple accidents in its self-driving feature. And because the computer vision technology is not 100% 100% accurate. So sometimes it may see an object and it may think it's just, it, there is no object there. So it, it can make mistakes and people don't understand that. So trusting it 100% is a big problem. And if you understand that AI systems make mistakes, you'll find ways to fail gracefully or you will know how to best employ the AI system. 
Is it more of a human assistant or can it be a sole decision maker? So you must understand the points of failure so that you're prepared accordingly. Like in the case of Tesla, I think the self-driving feature is quite dangerous. Do you have any other examples of maybe something that's not so dangerous, but where you've seen AI make mistakes where a client or something maybe trusted a little too much? Yes, this happens to a lot of my clients where they've developed a model, maybe to predict sentiment on maybe say tweets, the riskiness of tweets. So, and these customers are using these models to keep a reputation clean. And they want to see correct prediction, whether this tweet is risky or it's not risky. And in one case, the model is making a lot of mistakes. So <clears throat> it kind of tarnished the name of the company because of all the mistakes the model was making. So if your model is not accurate, your brand is kind of responsible for that, really. And so when putting this stuff in place, like how, how does somebody monitor that or, or test that, right? Because we're business leaders aren't going to be the ones writing these algorithms, right? The algorithms are kind of a black box. So what does the process look like as they're starting to use these to have some checks and balances? Yeah. So this is where I see a lot of problems. So companies develop models, then they think it's done. They deploy these models. But the reality is that the model may be trained on data that is slightly different from what the model is going to see in practice. So when they actually deploy the models, uh, it doesn't work as well. So the best way to go about this is to really rigorously test these models on the data that it's supposed to be working on. So again, to understand its failure patterns or its accuracy on production data, not your development data. So Testing is often forgotten when de developing AI models, I feel. So we're talking right right now about failure, but there's also the, this element, I mean, it could be failure, but there's also this element of bias, right? That the, I think it's easy to think that it's a computer algorithm. And so it must be clean and neutral because it's just code. But the reality is if you, if you write the code as a human being and there's some of your bias in there, that bias is going to come out in the results too and be extrapolated when more and more data get put through. And so is, it, is the process the same to be checking for bias? Like how, how, do, how do you advise companies to make sure that, yeah, okay, there's, there's clear failure, but there's also more subtle bias. How do, how do you advise companies to check for that? Yes. So in the evaluation, you can really stress test it for different things. One is for accuracy, and one is to detect potential biases. And to do that, you need to understand the different ways in which the model can become biased. So it depends on what it's predicting. So for example, there was a recruiting tool that was dismissing women because it learned on data that was predominantly male. So it thought women were irrelevant. So you need to understand the ways in which the model can become biased. And in the development process itself, the developers should understand that what are the biases in their data. And this is a joint responsibility between developers and the business stakeholders. What data you're using, what type of biases may exist in that data, 
And what are the societal biases? Like we know that men are pref preferred in the technology field. So we, know, we kind of know that. So that might be present in data. So when you have that understanding through development, you'll know um, during development, you will try to account for those biases. And then during testing, you can further weed out models that are biased, really. On the flip side, you know, as you're saying that, you know, we're talking about, oh, these models can be biased and it might be easy to think like, oh my God, I never thought about that. And now I don't trust any of these. But on the flip side, you could, it seems like you could use the same technology to actually remove some of your biases. If you knew what they were or what the potential would be, or like you, in your example of men, there are more men in technology right now. And if you're a company that says, well, we want to fix that problem, we want to actually create some AI for ourselves that gets rid of that bias. And so we're getting broader, more diverse candidates without our own, you know, without our own filters getting in the way. Do you see companies using it that way too? Yes, a lot through data analysis, just through analyzing the data, you can see that there may be skewed represent, representation of groups. You'll see more males versus females. So, so before the development itself, just analyzing your data uh, in different ways will will bring will surface different uh, biases present present in the data, and you can of course build models to detect potential uh, biases as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Sorry, just thinking about that. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it's interesting to think that they can be both biased and they can help us get through our biases. It's just a matter of how you set it up. Yes. Yep. So what what does a good setup process look like? Like I are there are companies out there just buying technologies that are so intuitive to set up that, you know, they can just buy them and set them up? Or does it is it really take working with a consultant to make sure you get this right? Yeah, it's very problem dependent. So there are tools like off the shelf tools that you can just plug into your workflow. So one example is sentiment analysis tool, which basically predicts whether some text is positive, negative, or neutral, or if it contains anger, sadness, and things like that. That's what my Grammarly is doing for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have, you, have you used that before? Yes. And Grammarly is powered by NLP. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, of right. course. Well, and that's funny because as you were saying that, you know, it can it can tell you whether it's angry or whatever. They have the little emoji in the bottom right corner that kind of shows you like, oh, this is very happy and light and positive or very business focused or whatever. I always think it's funny to see how my writing comes across. <laughs> and is it usually good? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's funny. Sometimes it's like almost too good and you have to like not be as complimentary because I, so I do sales and, you know, sometimes it's like, all right, that might be a little too much and you got to back it down a little bit. And sometimes it's like, oh, it's not enough. Like I'm just giving, you know, whatever the straight story is. And I need to maybe put a little bit of extra, a little bit more human element into the writing. Yeah. I, I love Grammarly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I derailed you there. Talking about using consultants. Yes. So there, there are off the shelf tools available. For example, sentiment analysis tools, which predict whether a given piece of text is positive, negative, or neutral, or if there's anger in it, kind of like Grammarly. 
And these tools, uh, you can just license as needed. They are not at all expensive to use. But if you're trying to build things from scratch so that you can deploy in different parts of your business, then the costs can really look very different because you need to ensure that your data infrastructure is set up. So you may not be collecting data, you may not be centralizing your data, especially for big companies. So there's a lot of work, preparatory work right there. Then there's the upskilling and reskilling of employees. Uh, you may not have any data scientists in-house, so you'll have to hire these data scientists and, and data engineers as well. So there's a lot of infrastructure costs as well, like what platforms are you going to use? How are you going to deploy these models? So you could use off-the-shelf for one-off problems, or you, if you're trying to build and deploy throughout your organization, then you'll have to think about long-term preparation and these initiatives will be a lot more expensive. Yeah. Well, it seems like, you know, what you're saying is, is kind of like with anything, the, the more off the shelf you go prepackaged, the cheaper it's going to be, the more customization, the more expensive it's going to be. Yep. And downside of this off the shelf tools is that they may not really work well on your company data. Because it might, you're, you might be working in healthcare and you're so domain-specific. And if you're trying to use sentiment analysis that's trained on tweets, that may not really translate well to healthcare sentiment. So then you may have to build a really custom model in that case. Do you see companies building these, these AI systems for more like external client facing use or more like internal business administration use or both? I think both. So internet companies use it a lot for external product facing reasons like recommendation systems in their search engine pricing. So a lot of that internet companies use a lot of that uh, external facing features and large enterprises they tend to also use it internally, like to improve HR productivity, manufacturing lines. So I would say both. So who do you see owning the, these decisions then? Like if, if you're thinking about doing it externally versus you're thinking about doing it internally, like are there specific groups within companies that you see really owning this for each of those categories? When it comes to external applications of AI, a lot of it is centered around product management teams because they are in charge of these different features. So if these features do well, they get promoted and the business does well. So that's a lot of it is in product management. But for internal, a lot of the decisions are come from like line managers and their directors. And it's at the organization level. So it's so the internal one is really kind of coming from anywhere internally, like any kind of leader internally that's struggling with some kind of menial task. You see some kind of yeah inefficiency, or uh, they want to improve something, productivity of something. Yeah. So what is the what like what is the cost range that you see to build something out on your own? Like what? What what type of costs are we looking at? If you're like a startup, your let's say your model development cost is about ten thousand, and then software development around the model could be another fifty, sixty thousand. 
then you have your infrastructure costs, so hosting the model, hosting your software application, all of that. So I would say the minimum you're looking to spend is about 100K in total if it's you're building something from scratch as a startup, yeah. So it really is, I mean, I think what I'm picking up from you is like, there are a lot of off-the-shelf options but you've got to be very, you, you have to have very basic needs for them because they're very basic solutions. And then if you really want to build this stuff out, you really do have to have somebody on staff that is an expert in this, walk, you know, leading this, guiding this. this these, are, these are still specialty enough that there is some, there is some serious subject matter expertise. It's, it's not as simple as just, you know, an, an HR leader saying, oh, I want to build this from scratch. And so, you know, I can handle it having never done this before. Yes. That two things to that. The first part is correct, but HR managers can try to develop their own models. There are tools called, I think it's called auto ML, which you kind of try to build on your own. Uh, It's like a plug and play kind of software. And this, the goal of these tools is to democratize the building of AI tools. But if you don't understand how they work, then you may not know how to evaluate it. Then you may end up perpetuating the biases and the errors that we talked about earlier. So you can build it to prototype things, but when it comes to productionizing things, you want to get an expert to just evaluate it and make sure it's it's good to go. So what is your origin story? I know we kind of skipped right into you know, what is AI and how do companies do this? How did you get into doing this work? Yeah, I started off with AI when I was taking, when I was pursuing my master's at the University of Southern California. So they have really strong AI research going on. And this was back in 2005, where AI wasn't even a thing in the industry. So what was AI when you started thinking about it? Like, what what could you do? Basically, the same things you could do today, like chatbot development was a big thing. It was, it's called a conversational understanding or conversational agent. So basically, the same things that we could do in research can now be done in business just because the computation power is there. The tools are there to deploy these things quickly. And data science talent is a lot more available now. So a lot of the techniques are actually very, very old which we're just using like deep learning. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so having done this now, you said you got into it, what, 2005, you just said? 2005, yes. I took a class under a research professor and I was really hooked to this whole AI thing because it's it's a lot of algorithm development. It was just very interesting to me. I like developing things. And then I was hooked. So I wanted to apply this to business problems but I couldn't at that time because AI wasn't really a thing. So I went to do my PhD to become a research scientist or a professor. But as I was about to graduate, that was around 2013, data science really became a thing in industry. So then I just started solving industry problems because I had jobs that I could apply for. And that's how I kind of got my start. Okay. Yeah. And as I was solving more and more industry problems, then people... Other companies started contacting me like, hey, how do I build a system? So that's how I got into more consulting role. And so in 2005, you were working on 
some of the technology that 10, 15 years later is now sort of, I want to say prolific. That's the wrong word. It's, it's prevalent. You know, it's, it's more common in the business world now. Wasn't then, but the technology existed, but it took a long time before it's really rolled out. What do you see being worked on today that we're not using in the business world that you think maybe 15 years from now could be everywhere and, and would be really interesting? Yes, there's this area of research where they're looking into using less data to achieve the same level of accuracy that these deep learning systems use that require lots of data to make predictions. It's called few-shot learning or one-shot learning. So it's still in a very research phase where it's looking at using just, just a tiny bit of data to learn a lot. Then there's another area of research there where they're looking more into common sense reasoning. So they want AI systems to think more and more like humans. So this has to pass certain tests in order for it to really become a human-like bot. But this will take a few decades, I think. But we may get that. Yeah. What's the name of the tests? Uh, Turing test. The Turing test, yes. Turing test, yeah. And could you explain what that is? Turing test is about testing an AI software on different dimensions. Like it should be able to converse without being noticed that you're, you're conversing with a bot. Yeah. It should be, it should be in, indistinguishable from interacting with a human being, right? That, Correct. That a, yeah. that a human being could ask it questions and not be able to tell that it was talking to a machine. I don't know what those questions are, but I know that. Apparently you can do that. That's an interesting one. That that would be really interesting to see if we can can build the common sense. Are there any others that you see coming down coming down the pipe? Or any are there any even further than that that are kind of aspirational that you see people starting to talk about? People are talking about artificial superintelligence where AI systems become smarter than humans. There I don't think there is much research on that yet. But we need to first reach the state of artificial general intelligence, where AI systems are as smart as humans first to get to the next level. So there's a lot of research working towards this AGI stage. And some companies claim to be doing some AGI, but it's not really true general intelligence. It's still very data dependent. So we must come out of data dependency and be able to abstract out knowledge. Say that again. So we need to come out of the state where we are depending on data to learn and try to be more like humans where we can abstract knowledge that's acquired. So I learn something in one domain and I'm able to abstract out the concept and apply it to a... Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, human beings to some degree are data processing machines too. You know, we learn over time we have experiences we have you know experiences and experiences and experiences and then we filter down the patterns that we see and then use that to inform future decisions and sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong but you know that's essentially what we're doing in our head too so you know you're never going to be able to do it with no data but i i think that's a really interesting point is being able to drill down into a principle you know i can say oh, what makes a really, you know, what gives me a better opportunity 
to sell something is when I have a good relationship with that person. And in order to build a good relationship, I have to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, well, that same X, Y, and Z applies to building a relationship with my wife or my children. And, and then you can you know, apply those same lessons or frameworks in multiple places. That's kind of what you're talking about, correct? That's right. And also building upon these concepts, like we learn as we are growing and as we are growing old as well, we are constantly learning and building upon what we already know. So that's what AI systems need in order to become more like humans, like just building on that foundational knowledge. So let me ask you the the sci-fi question. How do you feel about the point where artificial intelligence becomes human-like or where it becomes superhuman-like? Is that is there any part of your brain that gets a little worried thinking about that future or not? Well, seeing where things are right now, I don't think so. I don't see that future in the next two decades. But also regulations is, will come into play where they will control what types of systems you can develop. Maybe they will not permit you to develop a system as intelligent as humans. So as you know, AI regulations is still in the talk. They've formed an AI advisory committee and we'll have to see what comes out of that. But I think the government will not let this happen. At least the US government. I think you have more faith than I do on that topic. <laughs> Yeah, we don't. I just thinking back to, I don't remember the specifics, but I think it was uh, Mark Zuckerberg explaining to senators how Facebook worked. And it was, yeah, it was, comical. It, it was embarrassing for a few of the senators. Yeah, I don't have a, a bunch of faith that they understand how technology works, but maybe the next, you know, maybe the next generation of senators and Congress people will. So, what, so you said that there is a panel discussing that right now. Is that where is that happening? Is that is that happening in the collegiate level, or is that a a congressional, like governmental thing? Where, where is it's that? It's a it's a governmental thing. Interesting, and like a think tank, or like what's the? It's an AI advisory committee in order to come up with regulations on how to go about regulating AI after all this drama that has happened. Interesting. So making yeah. recommendations to Congress. Recommendations, yeah. So they have experts from all over the U.S. from different companies private as well. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. One other area I wanted to talk to you about, we, we kind of hit it a little bit. We talked about failures. We talked about bias. Wanted to talk about ethics. How do you see companies dealing with the ethical challenges that come with some of these decisions? And I, I, I've heard of it more on the client facing side. Like you, we've talked about Tesla a couple of times, like you know, the, it's kind of like the trolley problem for anyone who's familiar with that from a philosophy standpoint or anyone who has seen The Good Place. There was a hilariously grotesque episode about the trolley problem, which is, you know, you're driving a trolley that's out of control and, you know, you can keep going and run into five people or you can switch tracks and run into one person, you know, but you'd be consciously choosing to hurt that other one person. You know, what do you do? And there are all these ethical problems that as we're programming technologies, we really do have to think about. And maybe it's not somebody's life, but I mean, with a car, it could be. But, you know, there are ethical challenges that come in when we're telling a technology it has to make, you know, a decision. In some cases, these decisions aren't going to be great for anybody. So how do you see companies 
thinking through the ethics of putting some of these systems in place? Yeah, I think companies who are looking to deploy AI more widely have to have an AI ethics committee that thinks through all these things. Like, what are the... So let's say the AI makes mistake. What are the implications? Does somebody fail to get a loan? Can somebody die? Think about the implications and then decide if this is something they're willing to handle. So if somebody's going to die because the AI system made a mistake because it didn't see an object, are you willing to handle the risks and the responsibilities that come with it? So if you're not, then maybe the self-driving feature in Tesla should not be available. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's not the one you want to invest in for your business. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So thinking it through before deployment is the best way to go about it and understanding the ways in which it can impact society and people will guide you into whether you want to be accountable for that or not. And some, some mistakes are so harmless that it's okay, like Gmail's spam classifier. If it makes, makes a mistake, classify, it classifies a valid email as spam. That, I mean, the gravity of that problem is not that big. But if somebody dies, then that's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the way that you said it, you know, in the planning process, thinking through if this fails, what are the repercussions? You know, how, what, what does failure actually look like? And then are we willing to deal with that or not? And then how do we, you know, how do we, how would we interact or how would we engage at those failure points? Uh, Because to your, to your earlier comment, these will fail, especially in the beginning. And so, you know, how do we, how do we plan for that and then quickly catch it and improve it so that they fail less and less over time? Yeah. And some, like I mentioned, some failures are completely fine, like recommendation engines. They can recommend things that are not relevant and it's, it doesn't even look irrelevant. doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah. yeah it doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It just hurts your that. revenues. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, you know, I go on my Kindle or something and it's like, here's a book that's recommended for you. And I'm like, where did you come up with that one? But, you know, I go on to the next one and nothing, nothing no, happens. Nothing yeah. happens. A couple last questions for you here. This has been really interesting. As you're having conversations with clients, as you're thinking about this stuff and hear people talking about this, what are you sick of talking about or, or hearing? Yeah, I'm sick of talking about and hearing about the future of AI simply because what we already have is already not being used. People talk about it a lot, but the adoption of AI is still very, very small, I would say. People are still struggling to adopt AI. And why are we talking about the future if we can't even make the present work for us? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's one big thing that I, that I dislike. That's a very human thing to do, right? It's like, oh, well, someday we're going to be able to do X, Y, Z, this great stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, but are you using the stuff today? And it's like, well, no. And it's like, well, then why do you think you're going to use it in the future? Like, you're going to have to start using it today to, to get there. Especially because AI is such a usable technology today. So let's start using it first. Let's start getting value from it first. And let the researchers think about the future because they'll have to pass this Turing test. They'll have to do a lot of things to make that technology available to businesses to use. Yeah, that's a good point. So what do you think people aren't talking about enough or what are you most excited to be talking about? 
yeah, the AI adoption challenges, like why, why is it so low and how can we improve the adoption of AI? How can companies be successful with AI? There's a lot of failure that I see. So even companies who have deployed AI, they, after deploying, they don't really know what's happening. So they themselves need help to become more successful with what they've deployed. So understand how it's creating value for them, understand how their model's performing, and essentially put them on the right path to seeing value, real value. I've got one more question for you, and this was the one we talked about at the beginning. So I know this is a little a little bit of a curveball from what we have been talking about, but I think this it's an interesting question to ask at the end of these conversations. And having not talked about AI before, I think it'd be interesting to get the perspective from someone like you who, you know, thinks about business through both the human and artificial intelligence standpoint. But what what is the purpose of business in your mind? Is it as it relates to me or just... In- I, I mean, you are a business owner, so maybe it's, you know, to you, what's the purpose of your business? But I, you know, you can answer it at whatever level you want, you know, mo- you know, super macro, what is the purpose of business? What is the purpose of a business? Or what is the purpose of your business? Okay, yeah. So the purpose of my business is I feel like I am a guide because I've done so much of AI. And I see how it's not being used or being used inaccurately. So, and I want, and I know that this technology has a lot of potential and I want people to use it, to use it in the right way, to get the right results and to improve society at large. So that's my purpose of business. I love that. Thank you. Last question then, where can people find you and get this kind of help? Because this is what you do. I mean, you help people with these problems, you help them figure out what they need, build it out, put this stuff in place. So so where can people find you and engage in this conversation a little bit more if they need to? Sure. For my for the book, you can visit my website, Kavita K-A-V-I-T-A dash Ganesan, G-A-N-E-S-A-N dot com. And if you need help with your business AI problems, then you can visit my company website, which is Opinosis, O-P-I-N-O-S-I-S dash analytics.com. And we'll link to that those in the show notes, but just there is a great book out there for leaders who are starting to think about this. And then there is a great business out there for leaders who want to engage and have these conversations and, and talk with you through these challenges. So Kavita, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you and, and your expertise in this artificial people business topic. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.